Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello Australia and the rest of the world, wherever you may be listening to Beef Central's podcast series On The Grill. I'm Kerry Lonigan, and On The Grill is actually what it's all about today because our guest is truly a master chef. He's cooked for superstars and he has a social media following in the millions. We're going to hear a lot about good red meat cooking, but first some background of our guest. From Queensland's Sunshine Coast via New Zealand and the United Kingdom, I'm delighted to welcome Andrew Herndon. Andy, how are you? I'm really well, thanks, Kerry. How are you, mate? Well, thank you. And uh, on the grill with Beef Central, you've got to tell us, first of all, how a master chef like yourself cooks the steak. This is something very special that we're revealing today, how a chef cooks the steak the best way possible. So my, my favourite way, is many ways to skin a cat, and we're a firm believer in that, but my current favourite way to cook a steak is to dry brine it overnight um, by kind of giving it a good, good kind of crusty and salt and putting it in a wire rack in the fridge overnight. And then the next day, over a nice hot grill, preferably charcoal, uh, just giving it a good stare over a charcoal grill, uh, resting it really well, and, and that's, that's pretty much it. So you leave it in the fridge open overnight, is that right? Is that how you do it? That's correct. That's wow. correct, yeah. And, and with yeah. salt, of course, with salt. Yeah. No yeah. pepper. No pepper, no. I'm not a fan of pepper on my steaks until after the cooking process. I find it, uh, the pepper burns and gets a bit... A bit bitter. Wow, well, that's revealing, isn't it? We'll be trying yeah. that very yeah. soon. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be trying that very soon as well. Andy, thank you. Now, raised in New Zealand on a poultry farm, you, I understand, had an early early dreams of cooking at the highest level. Is that so? Yep, that's definitely correct. Yeah, my um, uh, my grandfather was a, had a, a big poultry farm and um, my mother was a fantastic home cook. And I think there's photos of me at you know, three years old playing with plastic food and there was no question in my head my whole life why I was always going to be a chef. Wow. So that's when you were a teenager, I assume, and even younger. Even younger, yeah. So feeding the chooks, collecting the eggs, you had enough of that very early and you left school very early and and enrolled in a course called Chef's College. Um, Did you learn a lot of the fundamentals there? Yeah, yeah, I learned the basics there. Yeah, I wasn't a particularly big fan of the traditional schooling system and I think it's probably come a long way since, since then, but um, uh, I, I learned pretty early that I don't learn um, that traditional kind of method. I, I'm a very hands-on learner, um, and I was lucky enough that my mother was very supportive of, of that decision to leave school really early and just get into the practical world. So I went into a, well, I called it a chef's college in New Zealand, which is effectively like a taste here in Australia, um, and did like a one-year pretty intensive chef degree uh, and then went out to the workforce. So that's where you learn, I assume, how to use a knife properly and how to chop properly, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, exactly that, mate. And, and you know the basic, you know, the basic white sauces and you know and red sauces and and all those kind of basic fundamentals of cooking. So, Andy, like so many Kiwis, you didn't you you were you were about to go across the ditch, but you changed your mind. You ended up in the United Kingdom, way over there. Did you have your sights set on something in particular in in London? Uh, I think for that, my era, that was kind of the, the place to go. Everyone went, went to the UK and I was lucky enough to have an English passport. So it was fairly easy for me just to get in a plane and get there. Um, so straight straight to London, to the big big smoke. Said so rather than just get a job as a short order cook, you, you aimed high and were willing to do anything just to work in a top restaurant. 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. I went, went and worked for a guy called Tom Atkins, um, who's a pretty famous and notorious chef and still, still around these days. Um, and, and kind of went to that pop end of town. And uh, luckily, he, he was a pretty big fan of Kiwis and Aussies, young Kiwis and Aussies, because um, we're notoriously relatively hard workers. So I got into his kitchen pretty quickly, and I, and I worked my way up in his regard there. So started at the bottom and observed your way to the top, did you? Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah, now, did that have a rating, a hat or a Michelin one or anything like that? Yeah, yeah Tom Atkins had, had a one Michelin star, Um and he had he had had two Muslim stars in a previous restaurant before that one too. I think Tom was actually the youngest chef ever, I believe, to have two Muslim stars at sort of twenty four or twenty five years old. Wow! Next came a gig at a restaurant owned by the one and only Richard Branson. Is this where you started yeah. to evolve with your own cooking style? Yes, definitely. Um, Richard was a great, uh, is a huge hero of mine. Uh, I'm just severely dyslexic, uh, and as is Richard. And, uh, and I kind of loved his, his theory, and it was just great to see someone who struggles with similar um, ways that I struggle with communication, or written communication particularly, um, be so successful. So it was fantastic to work with his, his group of, uh, of businesses, and yeah, and, and kind of started to figure out who I was as a cook. Did you meet the big man, the great man? Never got to meet him, unfortunately, no, but we, we did have a few pretty... Uh, pretty serious people come through that restaurant, um, including Bill Gates at the time, who, who was um, Bill Gates and who else? Oh, the President of the United States back then, so George Bush, <laughs> he came in. <laughs> That's, uh, listen, we've got a name-dropping period, uh, uh, question here in a moment, but you've already started. You, yeah. <laughs> did the boss tell you how and what to cook, or did you have a fairly loose rein there? No, he, he had a fairly loose reign. There was one particular rule um, with Richard's group of restaurants that we weren't allowed to serve for our grass. Apart from that, we had pretty much free reign. So. Then you became the head chef, which you must have been very young to be a head chef, of the Great East Dining Room. Yep. You've met a lot of superstars there, and now it's time to drop a few names at the Great East <laughs> Dining Room. Yeah, so the Great East Dining Room. I became the head chef of that venue at 24. And, and I kind of freely and openly say I was far too young now uh, in hindsight. But, um, yeah, we had a lot. It was in Shoreditch, so the east end of London, right when that part of London was getting cool, you know, pre-GFC. There was bankers everywhere with, you know, stupid paychecks. And, and, and because of that, you know, it brought in a lot of celebrities. And there was, you know, every, every kind of celebrity you can imagine was walking through those doors from the royals to music stars to international movie stars, um, and the only time I, I ever really got starstruck was when Quentin Tarantino walked through the door. Quentin Tarantino. So <laughs> Prince Andrew or Prince Harry didn't uh, starstrike you at all? No, no, that didn't do it for me. But I, I don't know, something about, you know, I've always loved Quentin's movies, so I guess I guess that one really got me. Is there any big tips from these uh, big names? No. Um, I mean, no, back then we didn't, as, as the chefs, you know, we, we didn't really kind of see many of the tips, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're... Uh, You've had your fill of the United Kingdom and the weather there, I guess. You head back to Australia, but before that, you started your social media and their numbers are outstanding. Did this balloon then or was it when you came to Australia? I, I, I only started posting social media uh, as a result of COVID, so that was only recent. Wow, yes. Um, yeah, so I started posting on social media in November last year. Wow. Okay, tell us about the numbers. They are outstanding uh, from TikTok and Instagram. Yeah, so TikTok are currently at 2.6 million followers. 
Instagram, we've just crossed a million followers, and YouTube, we've got sort of 1.1 million followers. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty pretty large numbers. So that's just in a couple of years. How do the numbers happen? What type of um, what type of material were you putting out that attracted that uh, sort of number on, say, Instagram, for example? What recipes were you displaying? Um, I think it's, it's – uh, the, the reason I've managed to get traction is because I've really applied myself to it, and I've, um, I've figured out that, you know, the short format content, really fast interactive content is kind of what most of the younger people are into today. So I really focus heavily on that. Um, but I, I try and share my love for, for all food um, with my audience and, and, and also with, um, you know, I try and I don't stick away from the kind of traditional stuff, but um, I try to educate people on, on especially in what I'm doing with Kilcoy about um, you know, other cuts of meat and other, other parts of the animal that we can kind of explore. Yes, yeah, so looking at your postings, it appears you are trying to motivate home cooking, dare I say, and, and, and for home cooks to be more creative or daring with the red meat, either beef or lamb, like trying different cuts or even different ways of uh, different cooking techniques. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and kind of one of my taglines on YouTube especially is that you know, I'm a professional chef of 20 years, but bringing people on my home cooking journey because I don't think that many chefs are great home cooks, if that makes sense. I think the two are quite different. Um, So, you know, we're kind of learning together effectively. COVID seems to have inspired a lot more home cooking. Is the the home cooking falling back now that we're out of uh, COVID or is it uh, still up there, what it was, say, 12 months ago? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think it's just, um, it's just kind of got people's imagination, you know, really firing. So while, yes, the restaurants are open and I'm a big advocate for people getting out there and, and eating in your local restaurants, uh, you know, and bars and cafes and um, and all that great hospitality that Australia's got to offer, I also think people are, are just genuinely more interested in what they're cooking at home um, and, and different flavours and where their food's coming from. Let's take a, a short break now to hear a message from our podcast partner, Alenco Animal Health. This podcast is brought to you by CompuDose, a proven way to maximise growth rates in grass-fed cattle. CompuDose allows you to target and achieve specifications for most major markets, including MSA grading and feedlots. Contact Alanco and find out how CompuDose can grow your beef operation. Results may vary depending on nutrition. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. I'm with Andrew Herndon. He's running The Hub. It's a food innovation centre on Queensland's Sunshine Coast. Three times cooked short rib. Why has this yeah. become so popular? It's everyone seems to be doing it. Because <laughs> they're so tasty. Yes, that's true. <laughs> but the cooking process, I mean, is that slow cooking or is that just a development of slow cooking? It's just a development of slow cooking. And it actually came out of restaurants where you have to have um, your ingredients kind of prepared or, or what we call in the industry, or mise en place kind of so, you know, ready that you can, when, when an order comes in, you can kind of have their dinner up to them in 10 minutes or 15 minutes or yeah. however long for the, for the different establishments. Yeah. So it's just, uh, you know, an extension of that process. Slow cooking, of course, is um, oh, just ballooned in the last eight or 10 years, especially in the last three or four years, I guess. But I reckon it's so popular now, and, and especially with that American smoking Ovens that yeah. they have. Uh, have you tried those? Yeah, definitely. And we've, um, we're about to order a big, big trailer smoker here at Kilcoy. 
which is um, I'm really excited to play with. I, I've dabbled in it a little bit. I'm by no means an expert, um, but I, I reckon I'm going to need to get over to the States soon and really kind of delve into that, that world. Um, it's huge here as well. You know, there's some really fantastic guys doing some great smoking work here, and the competition seems huge, and it's not slowing down. So it's great to see. Well, they have smoking competitions at, at events all yeah, around Australia. Yeah. It's astounding, isn't it? Yeah, and they take, take it very seriously. Now, that, that slow cooking trend is certainly adding value to the carcass. Uh, I mean, yeah. I couldn't imagine brisket would become a desired cut that would have been a, that would have been a fantasy ten years ago, but now that's all they want to cook in these uh, slow cooking smoking ovens. Yeah, hundred percent, and and that's some of the feedback I get from my social media. You know, so I'll do an oxtail dish or a brisket dish, and people will say, "Oh, that used to be you know that used to be the cheap stuff back back you know ten years ago, and now now you're paying prime top prime." I'm kind of dollar for it. So. I'm, I, I have to say, I tried some brisket uh, slow cooked in a smoking oven not so long back, and it was just sensational. I just could not believe yeah. that it was brisket. It's fantastic, isn't it? Do you get contributors to your social media sites giving you ideas about a, a cooking process or a, another part of the uh, the carcass to cut or to uh, to cook in a way in a different way? Uh, yeah, I definitely um, am big on interaction with my my community that follows me. And one of the one of the kind of segments that I do, I I I cook dishes that people have asked for. You know, so from all around the world, and I'll I'll put my little spin on it, or I'll do it traditionally. So yeah, I'm, I'm very big on uh, interacting with my audience and asking what they want. They want to see me cook, and I think it goes. You know, it works both for both parties. They get to see their favourite dish, and it gives me ideas. Time for a brief message from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion on how we can add value to your business moving forward. Welcome back. I'm with Andrew Herndon. He's running The Hub. It's a food innovation centre on Queensland's Sunshine Coast. Do you think there's um, more value, Andrew, to be found in the beef carcass or the lamb carcass? Have we, or have we reached the limit, do you think? No, no, I definitely think there's more value to be, to be, you know, to be found in the carcass. Um, you know, and there's some fantastic work being done um, that I'm probably not uh, obliged to kind of <laughs> elaborate on too much further. Yeah. Um, that that I think will kind of prove that that theory up. But yeah, I think we're you know we do a pretty good job uh, at Kilcoy currently, and I'm, and I think the whole red meat industry does a pretty good job in general in Australia. But I definitely think there's more room for for you know for pulling some more value out of the carcass. Oh, it's so uh, important, you know, for it's so important commercially. It's so important for the environment, for the sustainability piece, you know, on our industry. It's yeah, it's extremely important work. Yes, indeed. Now, Andrew, you're back in Oz and you have a gig now at a place called The Hub uh, on the Queensland Sunshine Coast. Kilcoy Global Foods have uh, set this up in, congr- in, in uh, cooperation with a number of others. Uh, tell us about what The Hub is. What, what's it do? I think the, the, the one sentence 
kind of spiel I like to give people is the hub is an idea space for the red meat industry. So uh, like you said, we know we're a collaboration with AMPC and MLA and we are here for the whole red meat industry and, and, and we are, you know, we, we my role here is effectively to to cook meat all day and see what recipes we can come up with. Uh, both and also to deal with raw product and, and what we were just talking about and how we can we can get more value out of a carcass. And it's not a restaurant per se; it's a learning centre. Correct, correct. We are set up in the style of a restaurant, um, and that's for for taking customers on a journey from you know we've got a boning room, we've got a full commercial kitchen and a dining room, so we can bring in you know clients and customers or people from the industry. Um, we can bring in uh, a half a carcass, break it down, take it to the kitchen, come up with some menu development, menu ideas, and then take it into the dining room where we've got different styles of dining set up all the way from your QSR restaurants to your, your top fine dining restaurants. So, um, you know, we're an all, all immersive experience where we can kind of take the customer from a journey from, you know, from, you know, primal all the way through to plate. Yes, I um, must remind listeners that the, on the hubs, um website there is a wonderful virtual reality tour hosted by Andrew through the hub and it's an astounding place and some of the it would make an outstanding restaurant I guess but as you say it's a food innovation centre like no other exactly it's world class it literally is I've I've been lucky enough to work in in, um, corporate you know big corporate restaurant groups for for a while now and this this the facility that that these three uh, companies have, have put together is, is literally world-class. There's nothing like it really anywhere else in the world. Now, one of the recipes on your TikTok site is the is beef made with 100-day aged Angus rump. Oh, that's yeah. pretty unusual. Tell us about that one. It looks terrific. So, so one, of the, one of the amazing pieces of equipment or a few pieces of equipment that I've got here at the Hub is I've got four dry ages, and that's for me to run dry aging experiments and the dry aging world's kind of, you know, has grown in popularity too, especially online. Um, and and kind of to, to, to go back to the last point about, or one of the earlier points about using the whole animal, when you, when you dry age a big primal, you end up trimming off a lot of the excess. So I did a, um, you know, I did a beef bourguignon with a 100-day dry aged uh, piece of rump and then I used the stuff that I cut off the outside in the dry aging process to put through a burger to do a dry aged burger. So... Um, I've currently got a, an OP rib, a Carrara Wagyu OP rib in my dry edge. That's at about 200 days age now. So we'll we'll see how much longer we'll, we'll take that before we, we cook some steaks out of it. But, Did you um, say 200, da- two, 200 days aged in your in your freezer? Yes, yeah, 200 days now. Good heavens. Yeah. Uh, that, that, aging beef is relatively new, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't think I've seen as much as, as I have in the last couple of years in restaurants around the bigger restaurants around the place where they have their own aging rooms. Yeah, it's certainly taken popularity, you know, in the last kind of five plus years, especially in the States. Um, it's been around forever, um, but it's one of those kind of processes that uh, it's actually it's quite expensive to, to, to do because you, you're effectively taking moisture out of the piece of meat. So it obviously drives the price up, um, but the quality and, and the, the texture and the flavour that you get out of the steak at the end is is really special. But it's um it, it, I guess it's a slightly acquired taste. It's not for everyone's palate. Uh, I think you kind of have to really enjoy real beefy flavours to, to enjoy it. A bit similar to you know like the cheese world where you have some really funky blue cheeses, 
You know, when you start dry aging a piece of meat for a, in a 100, 200-day age, it takes on a whole new level of characteristics. So you're cooking a meal for yourself, Andy, this coming Sunday. What, what, what are you putting on the, on the barbecue? Look, it's a proud kiwi. There's usually, there's usually lamb, to be perfectly honest. Lamb? Um, yeah, there's usually lamb. I'm a big fan of, of, a, of, a, of a big joint of lamb. Excellent. Uh, I, I, yeah. I have to agree. It is extraordinarily tasty, but there's also nothing like a good medium-rare steak. No, you, you're 100% right. I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I live in a really weird bubble where I eat steak from 9 a.m. most days. So, come, you know, <laughs> come the weekend... I'm generally looking for something else. To be perfectly honest, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm often, I'm often, I've often wondered why the the biggest meat consuming country in the world, which is the United States, why it doesn't eat more lamb. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and growing up as a Kiwi and then living in the UK for a while, I, I didn't realise that it was quite as polarising it was until the last kind of few years. You know, like I think there's a lot of people that generally don't enjoy it, and I, I, I don't understand it. But I guess. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on the stuff, so I've always eaten it. But there's a lot of people out there that, that don't enjoy it. Yeah, so so you've got lamb for um, for lunch this coming Sunday. Yes, definitely lamb. Yeah, lamb, I, and I, I like to cook pretty simply at home: lamb, some like some salads, and some roast potatoes, and I'm I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. Look, it's been a pleasure to have you on board, Andrew. Andrew Herndon, Master Chef from the Hub on Queensland's Sunshine Coast. Have a look and check it up on the web. It's a great site to visit. Thank you so much for being with us on the grill for Beef Central. My pleasure. Anytime. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.